Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. Welcome yeah. back, you guys. What a cool conversation. What a great conversation this is. I mean, obviously I'm partial because, you know, this is somebody who has been in my life for a long time and who I love very much and was so powerful and has been life-changing for me. But today you guys are going to actually get to hear from my first therapist ever, um, the person who really just altered the course of my existence, really, mm. um, while we we're having this conversation. But I'm sitting here and I was almost watching myself as if I was watching outside of myself. And I was, I was feeling this feeling of wanting to be... Um, you know, approved of or, mm. or looked at or loved or accepted by. And I said to Danae, you know, it's so funny, those relationships go so deep. And even though now at this point, 10 years later, you know, we're so much more like colleagues, it's so fascinating to, to witness my internal draw or desire for her to like, be proud of me or accept me or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and that is a part of, you know, that reparenting process that we talk yeah. about so much in this work, you know, that this becomes that sort of healthy parental um, energy relationship at its best. But, you know, and also she's just so cool. <laughs> I, I definitely um, can understand that feeling a couple times. I was like, oh, I'm feeling that little like intimidation thing of when someone is so cool that you're like wanting them to like you and wanting to ask yes. like good questions and sound intelligent. Um, but yeah. I mean, what a cool first therapist. She is just like such a wealth of so many different gifts. Yeah. Yeah, she really is. And, and I hope that you guys, you know, really, I mean, not just her story is phenomenal, but I think, and then who she is and just like her purpose on this planet for sure is so clear. Crystal mm -hmm. clear. Um, not just to me, but even to her, like she knows it. But I hope that people who are listening, that you guys are able to just understand the humanness, I think, of therapists and, mm -hmm. you know, that we're real people too. And we all have struggles. And like, look, I'm sitting here saying how I, there's that little child of me that's like, I hope she's proud of me. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> I hope she likes me. <laughs> I hope she likes me. Um, but yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. This is a heartfelt one for me. And, and I just feel really happy and proud to be able to share this project with her and let her know, you know face-to-face, -face, like how much of an impact she's had on me. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a cool thing, these moments where we get to sort of go back to someone who has really impacted our journey and say thank you. Mm -hmm. I really mean it. Mm. All right, guys, enjoy. We are so excited about this guest today. This is someone that I have heard Vanessa talking about since, like actually since the day we met, you've been talking about how big of an impact this person has had on your life and some of the ways that you sort of got into this path of therapy. And so we're so excited that Ashley Torrent, who is a psycho-spiritual counselor and intuitive medium, is joining us. And I'll let you, Vanessa, tell a little bit about your experience of knowing Ashley up to this point. Yeah. So Ashley um, was my first therapist. And she was referred to me by a friend of mine. 
And at the time that I went to go see her, uh, I was at a point in my life where I was really angry, but didn't really know why, um, which I've actually had a lot of clients come to me for similar things now, <laughs> just pissed off and not happy and not really sure why. And so I remember walking in, I had never done therapy growing up. Um, not that my mom or family was against it, but we just didn't talk about it. And I remember going in and immediately being struck by a few things. So Ashley didn't look or sound like what I expected a therapist to look or sound like. <laughs> she was young. She was hot. She was padded. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I want to be friends with her. <laughs> and I just remember her also being just like really warm and inviting and more almost like a sister or a friend than what I expected a therapist to sound like. Um, you know, it wasn't like, let me tell you what you need to do, which we know as therapists isn't actually what therapy is supposed to be, right? But at the time, I had no clue what to expect. And through our work, um, and I think the first time we worked together was probably almost two years, maybe, give or take. I worked through so much family stuff and just old resentments and communication. I mean, all the things that you would usually think about, but it was so much more transformational than that. And I, I credit Ashley not only with kind of I guess, changing the course of where I am now in my life, because through the work with her, I realized, you know, I wanted to do something similar, but I also kind of credit her with the course that my life took. And um, so I really appreciate mm -hmm. you being on, Ashley. And like, I could go on and on, but I'll let you talk. <laughs> it just makes me want to cry. It's, uh, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, it was funny because when I was talking to today about having you on, I was saying, I know a little snippet of your story just based on what you told me throughout our time working together. But obviously sitting in the therapist chair, you don't give too much, you know, you give little snippets, but it's not like you're telling me your life story. But I would love to hear from you a little bit about what got you onto your path and kind of how you came to be doing the work that you're doing. So I was, um, grew up with a severely mentally ill parent and, um, and also, many addicted family members who suffered from addiction to alcoholism, but I never felt like I had anyone that I could go to or talk to. I didn't feel safe. And as I got away from my family and I moved around, you know, I moved to New York City and I ended up there and I was just not feeling good. Like I was, um, I was finding myself angry. I had a dog at the time and I remember we were standing on the stoop and um, she yanked me down the stairs and I remember just feeling so angry at her that I raised my hand as if I was mm. going to hit her and I just thought I do not want to be my mother and mm. I was like I booked a therapy session I found a therapist I booked a therapy session and it was interesting that therapist recapitulated most of my wounding I would walk in the room and she would literally arch her back away from me as I would walk in the room, almost as if I was too much for her or mm -hmm. she didn't want to be near me. And then as she would sit and listen to me, she would arch her back away. I would talk about my experience in my family growing up and she would do this thing where she said, I have a sign above your head that I like to point to. And it says, they did the best they knew how to do. And I just remember feeling like just hit in the gut, but I didn't know it. And it took my husband, who is now my husband, to go to a therapy session with me. And he heard that and he looked at her and said, are you really going to say that to her? Wow. And after we left the session, he said, you need a new therapist. <laughs> Having said all this, um, and it was interesting that I didn't know that I was, the same thing was happening to me in that room. Mm. But he pointed it out. Um, but it was her that said, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I don't know. You know, I, I knew I wanted to help people. I had, um, research going into nursing school, you know, pre-med, all of that stuff, but I never ended up there. And I was managing a restaurant at the time. And she handed me a brochure for the Helix training program. And as I flipped through it, 
it was a mixture of Western clinical psychology and then spiritual practice, like mm. shamanism, Buddhist psychology, mindfulness, intuition, dream therapy. And I was just like, all of the above, yes, please, <laughs> you know? And I cried, I remember crying, and it was like my body just intuitively knew, like, mm. this is what I was supposed to do. So I'm grateful to that therapist for pointing me in that direction. And um, yeah, so I was led to Helix. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, um, you know, when I was coming around to like the same question, what is it you want to do with your life, right? I think a lot of people who listen to this, who at least know me, know that I was in, you know, corporate for a long time and I was miserable and all the things and ended up taking my breadcrumbs down the path of what do I want to do in the healing space. You actually, funny enough, had a similar impact on me because when I kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, the Helix program had actually gone away. They weren't doing it anymore. And I was so bummed and I really wanted that. And there really wasn't anything else in New York that had, or the East Coast really, that had anything similar. And so you actually came in one day and said, I think you should look at this school called Pacifica. It's really amazing. You should check it out. And I remember going online and looking at it and having a similar feeling and cut to, I don't know how long it was, let's say six months to a year later when I got out there to visit it. It's in, it's in uh, Santa Barbara. When I stepped foot on the campus, I had a similar feeling. It was like, I welled up with tears my hair stood up in my arms and I just had this knowing of like, I need to be here. Mm. So it's just so interesting. You have that like kind of intuitive, like, oof, this is it. Yes. It's so powerful when that happens Mm. and we have to listen. Mm. So Ashley, it sounds like some of the aspects of what the Helix program offered were a part of your life prior to that, or like some of those practices. No. (laughs) Wow. I had never done any of those things. I didn't even really know what they were, but they just sounded amazing. Hmm. And I remember for my interview, um, one of the teachers said, you know, going to Helix is going to be like going to Hogwarts. And I was like, I don't know what that means. But she was so right. Mm -hmm. It was just, I have to say, I just wanted to know more about how, I've always been curious about why people do the things they do and about Mm -hmm. their stories and why they move through the world the way they do. I mean, I just didn't know. I didn't understand my parents. I was like, why are people doing this? No one talked. I would Mm -hmm. go through their things to kind Mm -hmm. of get a sense of who they were Mm -hmm. when they weren't around. Um, But I just wanted answers. So Helix just really gave me answers. Not only did they teach us the principles of clinical psychology and spiritual practice, but they pretty much asked us to gut ourselves. Like we have to look at our stuff and put it out on the table and sort through it for four years. Hmm. And so as hard as that was and as painful as it was, I, I loved getting to know, like I'd been so dissociated for most of my life hmm. that it just forced me to be present and in my body and to be curious about myself and the way I was moving through the world and the choices I was making, the relationships I was entering. Yeah. It was powerful. So powerful. I remember you saying something to me um, in the beginning of us working together, um, I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was something along the lines of that a lot of the clients that had found you or had come to find you were in similar, I don't want to say situations, but maybe had similar upbringings or had similar kind of backgrounds or were struggling with similar things that, then, um, that you had been when you had started your journey. And I think it wasn't until I kind of switched and was in the therapy chair. We actually had a professor at Pacifica who made a comment similar to that, which is like the clients you need find you. And, I rem- and when he said that, I remembered you actually saying that. And then I thought to myself, God we were all in such similar kind of wounding, right? Like, obviously, we're not the same, but like, you know, with your parents and your upbringing, and, and I just feel like there was so much common struggle that that itself has just helped me so much work with clients is just knowing that we have this like common theme, I suppose, that runs underneath. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was, I just felt so grateful that I was giving therapy to young, mostly young women who mm-hmm. had had 
difficult relationships, mostly their mothers and sometimes their fathers, but had never been witnessed. Mm -hmm. You know, I, what I discovered is I wanted to be a compassionate witness because I'd never had one. Mm -hmm. So sitting with these women, I just like, even talking about it, my heart just filled because I was like, I can offer just mm -hmm. presence and listening, mm -hmm. you know, and it was such, I just feel like I'm so grateful that my path has been this way and that everything I went through allowed me to be, you know, a therapist or a healer and hold space. Mm -hmm. so. so will you tell us a little bit about what your practice looks like today? Cause I was so excited. Um, just reading, we sent a couple of questions to Ashley ahead of time and I was so excited reading about the type of work that you do. I feel so interested in all of this right now, especially. So I want to hear you talk about it so I can pick your brain a little bit. Oh, sure. So um, my practice is still mostly women, still um, mostly women between the ages of 27 to maybe 50, all at the beginnings of their spiritual journey or somewhere in the middle, you know, mm -hmm. trying to find that spiritual path. And what I recognize is you know, Helix taught us about intuition, and um, I didn't understand how much I was using my intuition at the beginning of my practice, but in the past few years in um, studying mediumship and psychic ability, I really understood that I've been doing this all along in so many ways, but I didn't have the words for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I sit with somebody, um, my ability to empathize and um, tune in on an intuitive level is so helpful for me to know what skill skills I want to offer or tools mm -hmm. I want to offer. I also just feel like mm -hmm. I'm guided in a way that's just very much um, outside of my human ego and brain, just, you know, from spirit, the universe, God, love, whatever you want to call it. But it's still the foundations of clinical psychology, but the spirituality mixed in with it. And I don't always approach people with spirituality. I meet the client where they are. Right. You know, if they're not interested in hearing about intuition or psychic ability or mediumship or spirit world, I don't even bring that in. I meet the client where they are and I see what they're interested in and, and ways to explore with them. But I will say that the thing he likes, you know, made us realize is so important is it's not just clinical psychology and mindfulness, but it's a spiritual practice, a spiritual mm -hmm. understanding of why we're here. Even if you just believe that this is one time around and this is it, that's important to know. It's important mm -hmm. to know why you're living this life and to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have a spiritual practice, it helps the healing process. So it makes you go so much faster, I think, because you have something bigger than you holding it. Yeah. Does so. mm -hmm. that, that answer your question? Absolutely. Question? I couldn't agree more. And I feel like that is, you know, it feels a little bit similar to the path that we took at Pacifica. And, and yet I feel like I'm just recently being introduced to all of these new modalities. Like I had my first intuitive reading um, like two months ago. And Ashley, when I tell you, it was such a game changer for me. I just felt so deeply grounded in, um, I don't know, like being held in this path and like what I need to do and where I'm headed. And do you do that type of work with clients? if you feel like, do you feel that for them and sort of speak to it? Or do you wait until they sort of ask you about doing that type of work for them? You know, it depends on the client. Some people, they make it really clear that they're intuitive and they're in touch with their intuition. So I feel like I can reason and I can um, weave in intuitive guidance in with the session. So it's kind of like this dance I do, but the whole time I feel attuned to the client so that I'm just kind of checking in to see how that intuitive help lands. Um, and then there's some that don't use it at all, but, mm -hmm. and then there are some 
that um, have lost parents and I know they're interested. So sometimes I open up the space for the spirit world to come through mm -hmm. and their parents or loved ones from the other side have come through. And that's been amazing. I don't do it often. Mm -hmm. I try, most of the time I keep it separate. Like people can come to me for intuitive readings mm -hmm. and then, you know, people come to me for counseling. And then there are those certain people that get a, a weaving of both. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I remember too, like when we, when I first met you, I remember, um, maybe it was on the thing that I signed. God, it's been so long. Guys, just so you know, we're talking 11 years now. That was, I was 25 when I first went to Ashley, which is crazy. Uh -huh. Um, that you did energy work even at the time. So you offered like Reiki and a few things. And I remember in your, um, like when you, when you first told me, you were like, you know, I can offer this or I cannot, like, it's up to you, blah, blah, blah. And I remember at 25 being like, nope, <laughs> nope, talk therapy is enough, you know? Mm. Meanwhile, now I practice Reiki and I do all the things that you probably offer at the time. But at the time I was like, nope, let's just talk. <laughs> so it's like, you know, meet the client where they are right. and not push anything or push our own agenda because it's not about me. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, to Danae's point, so our program at Pacifica, very similar to yours at Helix, where it's, it's this combination of Western and Eastern, right? And while it is mostly based in Western, I mean, the, the fact is it's a Jungian-based school. And so Jung was so steeped in Eastern tradition, and he was so steeped in spirituality that it's almost impossible to, to separate them. And I think what I have found um, is that as clients have come to me, even if they're very kind of left brain, you would never think that they want to talk about any of this stuff. They're not interested. I've worked with veterans. I've worked with people who you would just not even expect. They somehow end up on this path with me where we're doing what you're talking about, this weaving. Mm -hmm. And we're somehow talking about spirit and we're somehow talking about intuition. And they, they eat it up in the sense of so many of us are aching for it. And we just don't have the words to know what we're aching for. And I think it's partly why I always found your work so fascinating is because I didn't know that I needed this other side of the therapy work, I think, until I met you, until you gave me words to, for it, right? And I, and I think that that's what has been so powerful, at least for me, from, from the work that we've done. And I, and I hope some of the work that I'm doing with my own clients, too. I, I absolutely think so. And, and, you know, we're teachers as therapists. Yeah. So we introduce, you know, put a little in, see how it lands. And then maybe we don't introduce it for a while. But then, you know, even it was so interesting to me when we, when I first started this work, you know, mindfulness was not the topic of the day. Yeah. Nobody knew what mindfulness was. I mean, Helix was really ahead of the game. Hmm. And I would sit with clients and I would say, okay, mindfulness. And they would be like, not sure, you know, you know, meditation, you know, so even introducing mindfulness at the time was an, as a, is a spiritual practice and mm -hmm. that people didn't really know it was a spiritual practice. So you could weave it in and then you weave in a little bit more. So um, it sounds like you're doing beautiful work too. <laughs> I love it. It makes me so excited. Aww. And it does feel like such a dance because I do like to your point, you do have this little bit of like noticing where the client is feeling so strongly that, you know, I'll feel sometimes like, Ooh, I feel like an astrology reading would be so helpful just to bring some clarity to what we're having conversation about. But I can feel a little bit that that client's going to be like, Ugh. and sometimes I'll, I'll say like, you know, bear with me here. I have an idea. I don't know how to feel, but um, so yeah, it is a little bit of a dancer and art form of, of sorts. I feel curious to know a little bit about like your energy in the room when you do have so many capabilities. Actually, like how do you sort of balance what is coming in? Like, how does that work? Do you have a way of sort of 
shutting off um, your ability to sense some of those things, like some of your intuitive abilities? Like are those things that you have access to all the time or is that something that's like coming up in the room and it can feel overwhelming? I don't know if I'm articulating. It's a good question because um, as far as mediumship goes, you know, people often ask or like spirit, people who have passed coming to you all the time. No, you know, as my teacher said, you know, you need to learn to be able to turn it on and turn it off. You don't want spirits coming to you all the time. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not convenient. So I feel like I've set boundaries when I'm working. Having said that when I'm doing counseling sessions, I don't turn it on unless I know it's a client that might be able to use it. And sometimes I'll have part of my vision, my intuitive vision on the spirit world to see if they're there. But Mm -hmm. most of the time, because spirit operates on such a higher vibration that when I'm in spirit, it's just like my energy is like, woo, you know, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like pure love. It's so intense and beautiful that you could just stay up there forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with counseling, I need to be more in my human grounded self. However, when I'm doing counseling, I feel like my intuition is always on, you know, I don't ever turn that off and, or my ability to empathize. My empathic nature is always on. It's part of the whole, the intuition. I'm always listening to see if like my guides or my higher self, what are they saying? Not just my human brain that's learned these things. So I don't, I don't get overwhelmed. It, it doesn't, it does feel like a balancing act, but what I'm used to mm. it's kind of like checking in, but the spirit world, I kind of keep them at bay or respectfully they keep their distance unless I say, you know, this is, this is for someone, you know, that needs it right now. Wow. I love that. That's so cool. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like in awe of, of those abilities. I think that's, um, that's so incredible to sort of be able to weave those things into this work. What a gift. It's fun. It's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Mediumship well, has altered everything for me. And what I'm sitting here thinking too is like at a certain uh, level, all of us have this like strong intuitive ability. And we've been taught, especially in the West, so much to divorce ourselves from it, to, you know, place it outside of ourselves, to listen to our brain, right? The brain is, the brain is king. And it's almost sad to me, right? Because if we all were given this opportunity to study and immerse ourselves and strengthen the language or strengthen the the voice of that intuitive side of ourselves, we would all be so much more in touch with or in tune with that part of us. And so I think what's great is that you obviously already have kind of that foundation. It's there in you, but then you've been able to like hone it. And I, and I wish that we could give that to more people. Yeah, I, I feel like we need it more than ever. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, our lack of intuition and the way we move through the world is really harming us because we do all have intuitive abilities. We have the ability right. to access a higher self. We have the abilities to sense in, to attune to other people. And if we were all doing more of that, it would be a very different place to live in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I love to teach my clients about their own intuition, mm-hmm. ask them to check in with their self. What, what does your wiser self say? Not in here, but check right. it into your heart space. What is your body telling you? Where your intuition lives. So I, I agree with you. you know, right. Because how many times do we have clients, right? Um, that, well, I mean, I think I, I was like this too. When I first started therapy, it's like you go almost wanting somebody to tell you what to do, mm-hmm. right? Like, give me the answer. I need somebody to tell me what to do. And so much of therapy is not that at all, right? right. I mean, it's actually us getting, we're just walking beside you while that intuition gets louder so that you can then check in and say, what is that telling me? Yes. Yeah. 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 And I feel like I wouldn't have, or, and I didn't feel as strongly about some of the intuitive abilities that you're talking about before doing this work, but so often Mm -hmm. I will say something to a client and I will like, one, not be able to remember what I said five minutes later, but then also be like, who said that? Where did that come from? (laughs) Like, that's not a truth I know. Like, 
that was obviously something speaking through me to this person because I didn't say that. That wasn't me. But you can really feel that there is something that is coming through you in these moments while you're doing this work. Yeah. And I feel like when we're present, we are connected to something bigger. Mm. When we're holding space and we're in alignment with what we're supposed to be doing, I think it makes room for us to connect to that higher self, to that intuition, to the greater collective wisdom. Mm. Uh, absolutely. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah. And so how did you sort of shift into doing mediumship then? How did, like, did you have some of the, um, just awareness that that was an ability that was there or... Um, did you just start to become interested in tapping into that more? Um, you know, I don't have the story where I saw a bunch of dead people when I was a kid. I think I was too scared in my environment to be able to even let anything in. But I did do silly games like um, I, I, I would sit at a stoplight when we were in the car and I would try to intuit it when the light was going to change. Mm. Or I would know when a person walked into the room what kind of person that was in a sense, like what kind of energy they had, whether I wanted to spend time with them, you know, just kind of read them. Mm. And then when I was doing energy work about the time I knew Vanessa, um, a, a person who had recently passed came through and I didn't really know what it was. I just started describing this spiritual being. And the woman was like, that's, that's the, the mother of a friend of mine. And I was like, well, this is her, this is what she's saying. And then someone else came through and I had no idea. Like, when people talked about John Edwards, I could, I did not connect the dots that mm -hmm. I was talking to people who had passed. And then when I moved to Charleston, I had a friend. Um, so I had kids, forgot all about that, didn't do energy work for a while, just maintained my practice. And then I had a friend here, Caroline, who would just give me books on mediumship. She was fascinated with the subject and then she would pass them to me. And she was like, you should read this. And I would just put them on the shelf, on the shelf, mm -hmm. on the shelf. And then she introduced me to a medium, um, her book called, um, it's Laura Lynn Jackson. And the book's called The Light Between Us. And it just blew my mind. And it explained in a way about the spirit world and what happens when we die that I really resonated with. Because mm -hmm. I grew up in a Christian fundamentalist family. So it was like, you go to heaven or hell. That was it. Mm -hmm. It was very black or white. And as I moved away from religion, I couldn't even say the word God. I was so turned off by it. I didn't even take the space to imagine like, what happens when we die? I just couldn't even deal. So as I went through Helix, I came up with a new word, which was spirit for the greater um, essence, pure potential love. Mm. And then when I read The Light Between Us, it just all came together. Like when we die, it is all light and love. And then our loved ones are like right here. And you can't see me, but, but it's as if I held a piece of paper in front of my face. Our loved ones are just on the other side. They're that mm. close energetically around us. They just shed the, um, their human skin and they just become energy. And uh, it, it was incredible. So when... I just, after I read that book, I just started devouring everything I could on mediumship. I read every book, I did a mentorship, I took another training, and I've just been practicing nonstop for the past two years, just to hone that skills. And because um, it's such a healing tool for people who have lost loved ones, that they can come to me or to any other medium, and then we can give them information about that person they love's life and things that that spirit sees in their life now and like special objects that they left behind or messages. Mostly they give messages of love or things that they want to, the loved ones want to encourage the human about. Mm. And it's, it's mind-blowing. Mm. Did I explain that well? <laughs> that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I feel like it's such an incredible gift that you give people. Um, Vanessa and I lost someone that we went to school with last year, and I had never had, you know, an interest or any sort of like 
longing in the context of what you're talking about. And since he passed, I have just felt such deep um, pull to want to know more about like what happens, like where is he, what's going on, you know? Um, And so I feel like the ability to give that to people is just such an incredible gift. And I would imagine provides so much peace. It does bring peace. And I will say that there is only love and light on the other side. And all the readings I've done, I've never had anything scary come through, anything dark, any, um, they'll come through and they'll sometimes, well, they often come through with the personality they had on earth. So we can recognize them. And they'll sometimes come in through clothing, you know, they'll show us aspects of the personality so I can recognize them. And then as the sitter, the person I'm giving a reading to, understands, oh, you have my brother, my father, my friend, then the messages come through and the things that the spirit observes about like what's happening in their life now comes through. So it's interesting. And then they reveal just that they're not that personality self anymore. They sometimes reveal lessons they've learned on the other side because they're also working and busy. Like they're evaluating their life. They're understanding things, mistakes they made. They often come through and apologize and say they're so sorry. Mm. it's, It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, I heard that after our friend passed, but that I had never thought of that before, that um, when someone passes away, that they're like doing work or that they're like sort of um, in the space of making meaning and understanding what this lifetime was. But, you know, there's this thing sometimes when someone dies, or at least for me, like I want to dream about them because I sort of believe that that is that person making a connection Mm -hmm. with me from the other side. And I remember being really sad that our friend wasn't coming to me in dreams for like a really long time. And one of my friends who's like aware of mediumship was like, he's doing work right now. He's really, really busy. So he may not be able to visit you yet. And I was like, oh, okay. I never thought of that, but that's interesting to know. Yeah. I believe that dreams are their connection. But even, you know, my, my grandmother has only come through in my dreams twice, which has been very frustrating um, Mm. even before I started studying this. So it's sometimes not a pure thing, but I w- in the sense that I would say, maybe ask for a sign from your mm-hmm. friend, you know, ask them to leave something out there, ask for something specific, and then give them time to do that, that mm-hmm. thing, you know, um, if you had a favorite song that you shared between you and that person, or a book, or um, an object that was significant, you know, look for signs, and it, I wouldn't be surprised if your friend is leaving signs, that you, mm-hmm. that you thought, oh, that's coincidence, or you thought of him or her, you know, when that happened, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be surprised. So I guess I would ask and then start paying attention. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah I've, I've found that it's similar with my grandmother um, who passed a couple years ago, that there is a specific song um, that was kind of her song and, and it's, the, it's Autumn Leaves. And we actually have leaves on her, on her headstone. And um, there's been a couple times where I have been with my daughter and, you know, like our morning routine, we like clean her up and we dance, we put music on and I've got like a big mix, right? And, um, or have like a radio station on and like that song will come on. Um, And it's like, it's a new song, right? And it's from the thirties or forties, you know, like, or Cardinals, which was always like her favorite bird. And there's been a few times where I've actually been talking to my grandmother and in that moment, there's actually like a cardinal that's sitting there, which is a, not a very common bird either. And so I think to your point, it is so many more times in those moments where you just get that knowing again, coming back to that knowing of like, oh, that's exactly what that is. And it's not a question, right? It's not like, a, oh, maybe that's, it's like in that moment, it's such a knowing like, oh, that's her. Boom. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Ashley, I feel like I want to shift gears a little bit um, since we have you, and I'm really curious to sort of hear your perspective on just this moment in time that we're in. And I know you said that um, you're a mom as well, and Vanessa and I are both mothers and sort of, you know, all that we're navigating with um, trying to work and having kids at home and um, just the state of the world and what that brings up for us as parents and humans. And I'm just wondering like what this has been like for you or sort of the way that you're holding um, this moment. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a strange time for sure. You know, I, my life didn't change so dramatically in the sense that I homeschool my kids. I do Mm. have help like when I'm working, but that wasn't such a shift for them. But I think what I'm noticing is that I can't think about the bigger picture on a practical level, the practical bigger picture. I get too overwhelmed. I can't decide what I'm supposed to believe or not believe. It just seems so confusing. So it's really just made me like, look at what's right in front of me. You know, Mm -hmm. what am I doing right now? It's made me really present and to just take the step that's right here for today. That's all I control on a spiritual level. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by what's happening. I'm fascinated at the breath Mother Earth is taking. I'm fascinated by just the pause that we've all been required to take. Um, I'm very sad for those people that have lost people, of course, and the people that have died and how scary that must be for them. You know, all of it's true. It's scary, but I also see that there's something profound happening, that we're being asked to look at our lives in a different way. I think the thing that worries me is that the group of people that they're not going to change, right? I think there's going to be a split. I believe there's going to be a split. There are the people that continue to do the same. And there are going to be people that were really affected by this on a deeper level. And I've noticed my clients, there's only a couple that are really talking about the pressure and fear of COVID-19 and how it's affected them. But most of them are talking about what was left unhealed before this and how they're being forced to heal it or how they Mm -hmm. want to heal it or how they feel like they're running out of time to not heal it whether that's in their relationship or with themselves personally, um, the addictions, things like that. So, I mean, my son, um, my kids have not slept <laughs> like, at, at a normal hour. They're going to sleep so late. So I think they feel it. Yeah. Like they're waiting for us to go to sleep. And then my son, my youngest just said today, he's seven. He said, I'm really worried about one of us getting the virus. And he goes, what if you, Jake and dad get the virus and I have to take care of y'all. What, what, what am I going to do? And I was like, wow, he's been thinking about this for a couple of months, but not talking about it. So that's just kind of coming around as his, like my children's eternal process about that is rising to the surface. Yeah. I've had a few clients that have actually said that their kids have come to them or said little things like that, that have made them realize that they've been carrying this really heavy fear for a long time and haven't voiced it. And so, yeah, it's interesting to hear that your, your son's doing the same because it's been a similar concern. Like, well, what if you get sick? Then what happens to me? And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that part of it, well, I'm thinking of one client in particular, she actually kind of nixed YouTube and a few other things because I think it's a little bit of clicking and clicking and clicking and watching videos and like, you know, quote unquote news. And I think it's definitely got her panicked. But um, yeah, I mean, kids, especially with kids, right? They're, they're in, in themselves are so intuitive. And so, and, and, and like empathic, right. That they haven't had it kind of learned out of them yet. Like we have so many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, they, they definitely have a pulse on the collective energy and are picking up on things that maybe they don't articulate it or it takes them a while to articulate. 
um, or my oldest son who loves to process and talk about feelings. He's going to be a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) What we have inside is that your husband's a therapist too. So he is the kid of two therapists. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) A lot of processing, but I do try to stay off the news. You know, I don't put my head in the sand, but I also don't dive into it first thing in the morning or even middle of the day. And some days I don't even go into it just because Mm -hmm. it's too much. So, you know, I, I kind of ask or suggest my clients to kind of titrate their nervous systems by if they're going to go in, go in maybe the middle of the day, don't go in too long and then, you know, end their day with something different. Sure. Mm -hmm. Are there any other things that you've noticed or that you've been suggesting to your clients? Because I do find that this time has been sort of, activating um, old traumas or, you know, things that made people feel really out of control when they were young that are coming back um, really strongly right now. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you feel like you've sort of been consistently suggesting people do to tend to that. Really give themselves a break. Hmm. Um, You acknowledge that this is a traumatic time. And if you've had trauma in the past, it can be re-triggered from it. And to be patient with themselves because mm-hmm. we can be really impatient. I know some people are saying this is a time to do all these profound creative things. Well, I don't know about you, but there was a big period of this that I would, couldn't do much of anything besides mm-hmm. work. And there are a lot of clients who are feeling a lot of pressure to produce something. You just, they can't get in their bodies. Their nervous systems are all triggered. They're not sleeping. So I think right now we can't even process the trauma of this until much later, but right now it's about like our relationship to ourselves. What do we know? Our relationship to like the wounded beings inside of us, our inner children that are traumatized, what's triggering us? How do we restabilize? You know, how do we find our way through this and so that we don't take it out on our partners or our friends or our children? How do we come through this, you know, um, in a really loving way, but most importantly to ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. I think right now all we can do is be really gentle and patient and do things that soothe and calm us and take mm-hmm. it easy and not force anything. Um, and the degree to which people are experiencing this is very different. You know? right. so just, I mean, I think that's where I'm at is let's mm. take it easy for a moment. You know, you're resetting. The world is resetting. The United States is, I'm not sure if it's resetting. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> How long that'll take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that so much. And I think, you know, a big part of it is that this is an opportunity, you know, yes, Mm -hmm. there is what is so painful for so many, but also this opportunity to do some really deep healing work. But I do feel a little concerned about the resistance in that is the universe going to sort of continue to force this lesson, like force Mm -hmm. us to, (laughs) I don't know, see what it's asking us to wake up to a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I think I think like what you said, Ashley, is 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 profound in the sense that it's not about when we say do the healing, right? Or this is an opportunity to do the healing, and it's not about necessarily heavy lifting. It's not about maybe making your masterpiece, or you know, I think it was like Gwyneth Paltrow made some comment in the beginning that she got you know lashed at about like <laughs> learn a new language, you know, or something. Everybody's like, yeah, I have all the time to do that. I'm homeschooling three kids, right? But it's not about doing the hefty lifting. Actually, the healing is in learning to not do at all. Mm-hmm. And that's a great right way of putting it. And that is so hard for so many of us, right? And I think that's why so much anxiety has got has come up. Because it is like, well, what do I do? What do I fill my time with? You know, how do I keep myself busy? And it's like, well, that's actually the point. The point is that maybe you're not meant to make your masterpiece right now. Maybe you're actually meant to just sit in the discomfort of not doing anything. 
and and I there's been so much resistance I think with my clients as well to that kind of concept. I love that you brought that up because the doing and the being busy. I mean, our cultures just thrives on it and trades on it. And the fact that most of us have been asked to slow down and mm-hmm. stop and to pay attention to what's right in front of us and to the people around us. I mean, it's, it is profound to, to be put on pause. Mm-hmm. We don't operate that way. So I love what you said is to appreciate the pause and to learn to rest, to learn to take advantage of the quiet, to be in the quiet. We don't know how to be in the quiet. Mm-hmm. This culture, we don't. We're so busy avoiding and doing and moving towards something that Right. Well, busyness, busyness is an addiction just as much as drugs and alcohol are an addiction. Right. And, and I, I talk with clients a lot about that too. And, and I think as somebody who definitely tends to, to default into the kind of like doer left brain, you know, um, I think I find a lot of clients are coming to me that struggle with the same. So it is, it has been a lot of me explain like, well, what does that mean? Just being like, what does that mean? You know, it's like, well, stop trying to think about it. <laughs> like, I can't describe it to you. You know, you're trying to put a left brain on the right brain. It's like, doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I was trying to explain to my son today who he really has always struggled with um, just always being up in his head. And mm-hmm. was, we were talking about being in the moment. He's like, what does that mean? He's like, well, I was wondering what movie we can watch tonight. He's like, is that being in the moment? I don't know. <laughs> 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 your lunch right now being in the moment and it's interesting <laughs> to see him kind of work with it and struggle where my other son can really be in the moment he's always in the moment and mm-hmm. their experiences are very different yeah it's, it's interesting to watch wow and i also you know obviously for those people who are listening who are just getting to know you um you know you your husband is also a therapist and yeah. i get the question a lot because my partner is also a therapist so we get constantly asked, like, what is that like being two therapists? Do you guys just sit around and analyze each other all day? I can't imagine how many times you guys have gotten that because we've gotten it so many times. Um, but how, I guess, you know, not to talk about Lair for those, you know, I know his name, it's Lair. He was also my couple's therapist. Um, but how has that been for you guys as a couple, right? Like navigating all of this, I guess, having these two boys, navigating everything that's going on, just being in the same house. I mean, we're all in the same house, but I'm always interested in what it's like for people who are in this work too. Yeah, I feel um, feel a little sheepish saying this because being with Lair is really easy. Like mm-hmm. we're just yeah. best friends yeah. and two people that came from worlds where they never felt seen or understood and to find that person who just gets you, mm-hmm. it's so powerful. So I'm sure our kids will grow up and be like, they're always talking <laughs> all the time. We have coffee time. They're like, coffee time takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say we don't have our moments where we disagree or anything like that, but I will say I do feel really lucky that, um, we're really mindful of the way we te- treat each other. We both feel really lucky to have each other. And um, and then, you know, being parents, it's, you know, being mindful of, you know, making bigger space for um, having the kids around 24 seven. That's definitely mm-hmm. a challenge that we were mm-hmm. saying today, like maybe once we had a, like just an hour to ourselves in the house. It's just 24 seven nonstop. And you feel yeah. the energy and that constant contact. So really, I'm trying to have a lot of compassion for my boys as they move mm. through this. You know, Charleston's opening up a little bit, so it's different. I don't know what it's like in other parts. But we have families that have, um, you know, haven't been exposed to a lot of different people. So they've played with them. And, you know, we've seen other people a little bit. Mm-hmm. We went to the beach this weekend. But being really mindful and careful of, like, who we expose ourselves to. But um, I guess going back to having, you know, a husband as a therapist, I'm really 
I just feel glad. I feel lucky that I don't have to talk a different language, that he understands everything I say, and that together we can be united in how we approach our children, even in taking responsibility for when we totally screw it up, you know, so, and teaching them to take responsibility. And I feel, I feel a big responsibility in raising two young men right now, um, and raising compassionate men who are aware of how lucky they are, you know, and just to grow up and be respectful you know anyway I feel very uh it's a big responsibility yeah and today has a son so yeah and I thank you for speaking to that responsibility because I feel like that is so much um my internal struggle as a therapist raising a, a child and a son is like that I feel like I'm um I can sometimes be hypercritical of, you know, like, am I doing this right? Is this going to be something that impacts him so deeply later? Is, is he going to be that man that is struggling in the way that, you know, my male clients are? You know, how do I allow space for him to feel everything he's feeling and still like taking responsibility for his actions and his behavior? And I do think it's like a really tough thing. I mean, he's three, so I'm a little bit newer in this, but... Really hard. I have one of my teachers from Helix and my supervisor said to me, You just have to be good enough as a mm-hmm. parent. Be good enough. And I remember it just felt so freeing. And I really tried to bring my humanity into parenting that I screw up, that I'm a human, that my my feelings get over the top sometimes, you know, and just communicate. But parenting is it's not easy, you know. It's not easy. <laughs> and what I went through with my oldest son, you know, he, we didn't find out till he was eight that he had some severe food allergies and a mold toxicity. Mm-hmm. And I thought he had a personality disorder for the longest time. And then to go through that and to find compassion and to heal from that, that's a whole nother yeah. thing. But, you know, just to be really aware of what's happening with your children and to give compassion for yourself, compassion for them, to give each other space, to give the whole family space. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> on the journey, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think that's what's so hard. love, right? What would love do? I try mm. to put that in my head. Am I, am I acting through fear or am I acting through love? And my better yeah. moments, love is where I'm at. But I still slip into fear. Mm. Yeah, as we all do. And I think that that's, I think that's actually powerful for people to hear who are listening because, you know, sometimes it's like we're a bunch of therapists and we're all sitting around talking and we happen to have kids. But it's understanding that, you know, so many times people come to us and they look at us like we're on a pedestal. And, you know, I say to people all the time, like, I don't have my shit together. Don't come to me thinking I have my shit together because <laughs> I sure as hell do not, you know? And it's, I think it's good for people to hear and understand that we're all struggling the same as they are, you know, therapists or not, just because we have the skills and the tools and the training doesn't mean that we're better off. Um, there's a language to it, sure, but it doesn't mean that our struggle is any less. Mm. Oh, it's, it's a constant. It's like peeling another layer of the onion. I, yep. I mean, I just finished going through an intense healing, maybe in February. And I thought I was coasting and I woke up from a bad dream like three nights ago. And the first three words that came to me were gaping holes of pain. I was like, bring it on. I was like, bring it on. That might be the difference. Maybe that's I was about to therapist. say, I feel like when you hear gaping holes of pain and you say, bring it on, you are at a level of evolution that I am not at yet. Uh, that was because I was on my knees in utter surrender from like November to February, crying and just asking the universe, why help me through this? Mm. And it was in that suffering, it was so intense in that suffering, um, that I recognized that like surrender was the key. So yeah. when I felt that, of course, it was like, oh shit, here I am again. And then yeah. it was mm. like, I know better, bring it on. Mm. And um, 
it's not to say it's going to be easy, whatever this is. <laughs> it's not, it's not to say I'm going to warrior my way through it. It's going to be very painful, but I know that on the other side of the darkness, there is going to be tremendous light. I know that sounds so cheesy, but it's true. It's so true. It's true. Yeah. I have been through so many layers of that onion. And at one point, you know, I thought about suicide, you know, and I would just, I remember the moment I decided to live and to put both feet in this world and to accept this human challenge as it is. And it was an intense decision, you know, to just give up on the idea that I could give up, you know, mm. or that I wanted to give up maybe. And I say that with so, so many, so much compassion to people who have, who have, kill themselves or her struggle. It's not easy, but I share that because I don't, I'm not sitting here on my high horse. I've been through the dark night of the soul. I'm sure mm -hmm. I'll go through another layer of it. And um, I'm trying at this point to say, bring it on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, and what else can you do, right? That's, that's so much, so much of the work is like, well, your alternative is this. <laughs> your alternative right. is to stay where you're at, right? Which is the suffering or to bring it on and move through the suffering. But but those are, that's it, really. That's your, that's your options. Those are your options, resistance right? Resistance is such a bigger cause of suffering. There's yes. so much suffering and resistance. And actually what I went through over those months in the winter was because I was resisting 10 right. years of something I needed to process and understand. So that came with a difficult lesson for sure. Yeah. I love that so much, just like in this world with two feet on the ground, you know, and just that, um, that thing of like having faith that whatever challenges are coming towards me, um, how can I meet them with love? Because this is the challenge that I need in this moment for that deeper layer of understanding. It just feels really powerful to me. And I couldn't have made that decision if it weren't for the love of my husband, who was then my boyfriend at the time, but my therapist at the time. Hmm. Like I remember sitting there pondering what I was going to do. And her voice was inside my head. And she said, you know, it was like she was there. It was like, get in the shower. Water will soothe you. Get in the shower. Mm -hmm. And I made my way to the shower and I sat down in the shower and the water rained down on me. And I just remember it's soothing my nervous system all of a sudden. And I kind of fell asleep. For, well, I did fall asleep. I don't know how long I was out, but it was like, if it hadn't been for her love and her constancy and like her mirroring of my goodness on a regular basis, I don't think I would have had that lifeline. I'd never had it before. So it was really... Um, so I just want to like give her like the credit that that that's one thing that therapy can offer. It's just like that constancy, that mirroring of our innate goodness when we've never felt normal in this world mm -hmm. uh, or like we don't belong. Like my feeling has been so many times I'm just, I don't belong here. And she made me feel like I do belong here. And, and she made me feel like I could take up space mm -hmm. and that I was welcome. So yeah. This made me yeah. cry. You know, I'm thinking about your gifts as you said that, and um, I'm just so struck by, you know, how we can sort of understand something differently with time and space. And, you know, the part of you that maybe was feeling I don't belong here was that I have understandings that are bigger than here, right? Like that I'm able to see things beyond this realm here. I don't know. Feel if I'm no, you're, you're right on because it's a very uncomfortable place for highly sensitive people. Mm -hmm. My son who's very intuitive, empathic, and I believe has mediumship abilities and he can feel the intentions of people, mm -hmm. but those people are not admitting those or they're not old enough to admit them. You know what I mean? Their kids yes. or their parents or whatever, you know, and I remember moving through and I could feel the intentions of people and the intention to do harm or not be honest. And like, I would look around and, and nobody was anybody like, else. Yeah, I was. Yeah. And it made me yeah. feel crazy or weird, you know, and then 
I learned like I would have a reaction or want to talk about feelings and people would be like, just wanted to shut me down. So I didn't feel mm. like I had an audience. And then I met Lara and he was like, let's talk. And I was like, mm. we're having a real conversation. Mm. I was like, you mean you don't want to buy me another drink? You know, you're not trying to like get another date. You're like, you want to have a conversation. And then I met Julie who wanted to have a conversation and actually wanted to hear my story. So that was my therapist, right? And that is my therapist. So um, I thank you for saying that because that's how I felt. It's just like, I'm too much for this place. I know things, but no one's admitting that these things are to be known. You know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, you know, just that thing that um, so often the thing that we struggle with most ends up being our superpower or the, yeah. the magic that lives within us that we just need to, I don't know, have these people that witness um, us so that we can really see ourselves truly. I think that's. Yes. And do you find that most of your clients, I mean, mine are the sensitive person in the family of their mm-hmm. family, listen to the people or you know I know that word can have people feel certain things but sensitive people who move through the world like as Gary Zukov says six sensory people and five sensory people yes and <laughs> most of my clients are six sensory people do you see that absolutely and I feel like I was always that kid that was too sensitive and just um definitely sort of like sensitive to the energy of people and those are the clients that I attract. And so much of the conversations we have are sort of, how can we understand the gifts in this thing? Because it took me a really long time to understand my sensitivities as my gifts and the way that I'm able to sort of tap into being really present with people and, um, you know, seeing them in maybe ways that they haven't felt seen before. Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting. It's like as a parent, (laughs) as a parent, so many of us that tell our kids, and I mean, I, I think I grew up Mine wasn't, I don't know that I was told I was too sensitive. I was always told I was too dramatic. Was oh, that, yeah. that was the word that I got a lot, right? Which is still this idea of being too much. Um, mm. and, and so it's so interesting to think about how, the language that we use when we're raising children mm. um, and, and what that, how that sticks with them and that label becomes something that they have to live underneath for the rest of their lives, right? Until they're able to kind of maybe do this kind of work. But shit, I've done this work for 10 years and I still live with the I'm too much. Mm. Absolutely. My um, son's father said something about him being too sensitive the other day and like all my stuff just like, I was like, hey, it's not too sensitive, raw, you know, but all of that sort of like childhood stuff was like really brought mm-hmm. to the table in such a big way. And I was like, whoa, where did that reaction come from? That was not, you know, I mean, he wasn't talking to my son. He was talking to me about it, but it was a very large reaction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No. Well, you know, yeah, absolutely. That, that's a, and I'm new at this, but holy crap, is it already? <laughs> How's it going? The, the mirror is already out. Let me tell you. Is it? Yeah, all that perfectionism and codependency, man, it's on my shoulder all the time. Mm. <laughs> but you know, like you said, it's almost like bring it on. It's like I know that it's there, and I know that it's here for continued learning, and that's part of her purpose too, is to be my teacher and. You know, I'll be hers. It just looks she'll be mine. So I'm hopefully, hopefully she'll bring it on in a kind and compassionate way, but I doubt it. <laughs> so, so I hear that's not how it works. <laughs> no, it's beautiful though. It's beautiful that you can recognize that now. You know, my yeah. teacher had told me your child will be your guru, but you know, I didn't really understand what that's, I didn't understand what that meant at the time. And it's not till 11 years later that I now understand, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that wasn't exactly the lesson I was prepared for, but 
here we are. <laughs> Those yeah. lessons are not often comfortable, but they are there to teach us. Oh, no, I thought we'd do a little lesson light, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> Can you be a little gentle with the lesson? No? no. Okay, cool. Oh, well, I, you know, I often tell my clients, or not just clients, I think a lot of people who reach out to me on, on social media, really, who are always asking me, um, how do I find a therapist? How do I know when I've found a therapist that I really like? Or, you know, it's always like, how will I know? And so many times I say to people that finding a therapist is like dating, that you really have to find an, somebody that you connect with. And that that connection is actually so much more important than, you know, the, the big words that they use or, you know, the, the philosophy that they stand behind or whatever it is. It's like, it's, it is a soul to soul connection, right? Therapy really is two souls sitting in a room mirroring each other, um, you know, and the therapist's purpose is to be there and hold you in this journey. And I think that just to bring it back to, I guess, why I asked you to kind of be on this, you know, I wanted to say that that, that really was something that I felt with you, right? It was that connection. And, and you've spoken so much to why. I think everything you've said has, has pointed to why. But for the people who are listening, I want them to understand that when you are ready or if you are in that process of finding somebody, sitting down across from somebody and feeling like they really hear you and see you, they don't have to have been through the exact same thing that you've been through at all, which a lot of people think that that's what it's about, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're, you haven't gone through this, so you can't understand me. Do you feel heard? Do you feel seen? Do you feel loved? Do you feel respected? Those are the most important things. And through that, that's where the healing kind of gets its, gets its ground. That's the groundwork, right? That's where it gets its footing. If your therapist makes you feel like your family did and you're wanting to get away from your family, mm. that's fine. It's not a good match. Right. You know? And there are lots of different therapists out there. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. It's you want to feel safe. You want to feel comfortable. You want to feel like you connect to this person. You want to want to come back. Right. You know, I remember I used to dread going to my first therapist and I didn't mm. know why, but I would run to Julie's on most days unless yeah. I was having a really bad day because I knew that there was this space for me. Um, that I'd never had before. So yes, yes. Make sure that you feel all of those things. Don't force it. Yeah. And something you said about your first therapist that I want to bring up um, is just that idea that sometimes what feels comfortable in terms of like, this is what I've always known. So maybe like, this is what I should be doing because maybe this discomfort is comfortable. I know this. And you know, it took your husband Laird to say, no, actually, this is not how it should feel. And I find so often that sometimes, you know, the mirroring of, and that reparenting of like unconditional, like you are okay with me, you are safe with me, you are mm -hmm. accepted by me can be really difficult for my clients to tolerate if they've never experienced that in their family of origin. Yes. Yeah. I, I had a um, classmate who said that she would prefer her therapist to be like a robot. She didn't mm. want to know her therapist had any human qualities. So I also leave room for that. Now, I, I'm always curious. I don't, I'm not in touch with her. I'm always curious if she's changed that idea because I yeah. feel like a therapist's humanity is so important for us to feel more human. Agreed. But my, my friend at the time, you know, was not embodied. There were things mm. going on. So I'm always curious. I wish I could go back and ask her if she changed her mind about that. Mm. But, you know, and some people don't like transparency and some people don't want to see humanity, but I think that's because they can't see the humanity in themselves or they're scared of it. So, yeah. right. Right. Yeah. I mean, usually we can tolerate in others what we can tolerate ourselves, right? Right. right. Or, or the lack thereof, I guess. Um, well, Ashley, I, I'm so, so grateful that we got to have you on. Um, 
we have know, to ask the questions real quick. You, you have to ask the questions. Um, <laughs> we have, you say we have, bye. We have three questions that we ask everybody. Um, okay. But I, but I, you know, what I want to say is I want people, if anything that they take away from this, um, other than kind of your amazingness and your journey and your path, and I hope everybody looks you up, ashleytorrent.com, mm-hmm. um, is that, you know, therapy and therapists don't look one sort of way. And, you know, it's not always about fixing a behavior. That's not what therapy is about, right? Sometimes it really truly is just finding somebody that you connect with on a soul level that, like I said, can see you and hear you and hold you um, and, and show you that you're good mm-hmm. and show you that you're good enough, right? Yeah. And that in itself can be so life-changing and altering. And this whole idea of like, oh, I don't need to go to therapy. I'm fine. Um, you know, I don't have quote unquote problems. It, this is, that's not the point. <laughs> and I want people to understand that. No, no, no. It's just a nice space to be heard sometimes. Mm, right. Nice space to process like what's happening right now, a safe place. Right. I feel like we all need someone to bear witness. And that's hopefully the work that we do. Yeah, I think we all need someone to bear witness, to feel seen and understood. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. So we're going to ask our questions. All right. So the first one is what breaks your heart? Oh God, too much. Mm. Too much breaks my heart. Um, I can't look at so many things in the news. Like I listen to me cry too much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, um, seeing, you know, hearing about the rise of domestic violence, hearing, thinking about children who are stuck in homes where they don't have mindful aware parents, um, seeing what's happening with children, um, being separated from their families. I mean, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's so much suffering in our world that um, I, I can't, I can't, I try to like little doses at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the second question is what, or I guess when or where do you find yourself in flow state? So what do you totally just get yourself lost in where an entire day could go by in the blink of an eye during the notice? Um, Well, I feel like when I'm doing a mediumship reading, I'm absolutely in flow. Um, Mm. As a medium, you have to surrender. You can't control anything. And I was not very good at that at first because I can't predict who's going to come through, what's going to happen, what they're going to say. So I have to just open up my energy and trust that there is a loved one on the other side. And inevitably, there always is someone. So that's when I feel so in flow and connected to what's bigger than me, but yet that I am a part of. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I'm surfing, that's when I'm flowing. And I am flowing. There's no line. <laughs> I'm just in it. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. And the last one's a light one. Um, what's your favorite food, Ashley? Oh, I would say like tacos, but I've eaten tacos <laughs> for six weeks in a row that I <laughs> I literally said to my husband, if I taste cumin one more time, <laughs> so COVID comfort food's getting a little right? out of control. I can't take anymore. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm so grateful to get the opportunity to meet you, Ashley. Thank you for what you inspired in my friend Vanessa. Thank you for the work that you do in the world. It's just such an honor to meet you and just really inspiring to meet you. So thank, thank you. Thank you for um, allowing me to be a part of this. Um, I really love the conversation. I wish I had more people to have conversations like this. It was mm-hmm. really special. And I just have to say, Vanessa, um, 
my heart is so filled filled with love and just joy for you and your journey and where you are it brings me to tears like I, I feel like saying you're proud of someone you know when we're that age it just feels kind of patronizing or condescending but I haven't found the right words to uh, so in awe and impressed and happy and at your journey and where you are so I just wish you the best both of you for this it's been really great oh, thank you guys Therapists, we love our clients too. You do. Oh, you have to love them. Oh yeah. You do. You love them. They're like they are like kind of like children in a sense. Absolutely. Into the world, or they deciding they want to leave whenever they're ready. So we do love them. Absolutely. Clients. Well, I'm grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin.